God, hi Sheddies, it's me, Eddie Stevens. The time is 12 o'clock midday, uh, my midday, not yours. Um, I'm coming at you from the past, as per usual. I'm in my shed. Um, You are so lucky that I deleted the last intro that I did because it involved penis pain, diarrhea, both, you know, fecal and verbal, um... And all sorts of other, other just gibberish. Like, there's something wrong with me today. I don't know what it is. It's, as we, you know, we've discussed my ADHD, or as I now call it, ADHD, which is a strange version of ADHD, which is bordering on Tourette's and straight up all out psychosis. Um, now the good thing is I deleted the intro I tried to do, uh, because it was so terrible. The bad news is I don't have enough time now to do a, full intro maybe that's a good thing i don't know but we're just going to crack on with it okay it's rugby rant banter episode 173 my girlfriend's calling me right now let's go God, now I have even less time to record the podcast because my girlfriend called and I didn't want to talk. I didn't have time to talk, but it's that time of the month, you know, so I have to, um, not for her, for me. Um, I don't know if you know this about me. I bleed from the anus once a month and this week is dildo week. So, <laughs> Ooh. anyway, let's talk about rugby. I should have said strap-on week, shouldn't I? That would have been funnier. I made it up on the spot. What do you want from me? You know, I'm just going to go through my notes today. I, you know, I want to talk about the Premiership. I'm dying to talk to you about the Premiership. But there's a few things that have occurred to me just today within the last couple of hours. The first thing is um, been seeing a lot of stuff about, um, you know, over the last few weeks. Basically, ever since Steve Borthwick was appointed as England's new coach, a lot of people saying that Eddie Jones is the best coach in the world, blah, blah, blah. But you know, I've gone over this before, and I've looked at his record. He's never won a World Cup as head coach. So right there and then, I remember James fucking bullshit up his own ass Haskell saying that Eddie Jones is the most successful World Cup coach ever. He's never won a, he- a World Cup as head coach. Um, and I was thinking about it. Like, I don't remember Eddie Jones getting anywhere near as much respect um, until... Uh, you know, let me let me rephrase this. I've I've started badly. Um, I was trying to. I, I remember a time where Eddie Jones was coaching Australia, and he wasn't necessarily considered to be this incredible world class coach. And most of his career has not been that impressive. And I realised that he, Eddie Jones would never have even been England coach if not for one game. It was when Japan beat South Africa at that World Cup. Um, that changed everything. I, I, I've never seen one game define a coach more in my life. Um, it was, let's be honest, probably the biggest upset in rugby history. I'm trying to think if there's anything bigger. I don't think so. 
Nobody thought Japan would ever beat South Africa. You know, you can't imagine it'll ever happen again, you know? And um, because he was coach at the time and Japan narrowly beat a very shit South Africa team, uh, everyone decided he was the greatest coach on earth. And um, that's all I have to say on that. I'm not, I'm not sure why I decided to bring that up, but I made a note of it. So I thought I'd say it. The other thing I want to talk about is um, I was on Twitter today, like a fucking idiot. And uh, first I saw, I don't want to keep, I'm not going to keep slagging off James Haskell, but I saw a video of him uh, telling a story about how he had to babysit his own child, which I thought was pretty pathetic. Um, And as per usual, it was a very poor David Brent impression, uh, which is James Haskell's entire personality now. Um, but also, I saw a video, you may have seen it, of Eddie Hearn on whatever podcast it is that James Haskell does, talking about how to uh, make rugby more... Uh, appear or how to how to uh, promote rugby more and it was a very it's just a tiny snippet so maybe Eddie Hearn, Hearn made a lot of really good points I don't know but he mentioned that he didn't know he couldn't name half a dozen half a dozen current rugby players and let's be honest rugby in general is not that popular right now Mo- the average person probably couldn't name I would say the average Englishman when you consider that the average average Englishman isn't into rugby could not name a current rugby, uh, England rugby player, you know? Uh, who's the most famous rugby player in England right now? I don't know. Is it Marowatoji? Is it Owen Farrell? Is it, um, maybe it's Marcus Smith. His name gets thrown around a lot. But, you know, that's the thing. It's like, even as I'm saying these names, I'm like, these are not superstars. These are not, like, celebrities, are they? Like, people know who Johnny Wilkinson is. I mean, he won a World Cup. So that kind of gets to the crux of the issue is that this England team is not successful. So we're not going to hear them talked about much. I need to sneeze. <clears throat> um, but it's just, this is just me complaining a little bit. I made the point, and I think this is true, um, that uh, rugby would be vastly more popular Um in England, if the sport wasn't scared of its own shadow, scared of its own reflection, and actually promoted the aspect of rugby that people who would be into rugby would find appealing, and that is the brutality, right? Um, and then I think I said something like, uh, uh, a big hits video will be much more popular than a than an inclusivity video, you know? And then somebody said, big legal hits are total are great, but dangerous high tackles have always been illegal. And I said, "Who said otherwise?" This is a kind, and it, and it, but it just it just goes to show this fucking weird, timid, virtuous um, attitude that just revolves around rug. Well, rugby Twitter at least, where people are desperate. I mean, like, no one said anything about it. No one said that high tackles should be allowed or I want to see videos of people getting decapitated. But people feel compelled to say, well, you know, head injuries are not a joke. We need to care about it. You know what? I don't give a fuck about head injuries. Do you know why? Because 
We're very well aware of the dangers. We know the risks. End of story. I'm done with it. I don't want to hear about it. I don't care. I don't give a shit. And the other thing is, I was aware of the dangers of head injury 20 years ago. When when Steve Thompson was winning a World Cup playing professional rugby, if you'd have asked me back then when I was bloody 20 years old, 23 years old, do you think that rugby is potentially dangerous due to head injuries? I would have said, yeah, of course. Um, never in my wildest nightmares would I have thought that professional rugby players would be filing lawsuits against the rugby football union for, for, for brain trauma. They suffered playing rugby. It's very strange. I'm, I don't even want to talk about this, but it popped into my head and, that is how rugby rant banter sometimes happens. Sometimes I have a very clear, concise, almost like a set list of things, points um, that I can go through. And those episodes tend to be the good ones. And sometimes I sit here with verbal diarrhea and that's what's happening now. And I'm sorry, but I do want to talk about the premiership because I watched, how many games did I watch? I don't even know. You know, I used to watch every match and now I just can't be asked to which says something about the state of the of the season. It's partly that fantasy rugby's been fucked up so much that I don't even you know I if you if you've not listened before, I based my fantasy rugby squad around wasps who then um well, let's be honest, that was what killed them. My shyest touch ended wasps rugby permanently. Most likely. But anyway, I've been like using the bare bones of my squad and using intelligent drafting to keep myself sort of up in, I think I'm, I think I'm still in second place um, in my fantasy rugby league, but it's like every week I'm either up against someone who isn't bothering or I'm up, up against someone who didn't base their team around wasps or Worcester players that no longer are playing. Um, also Alfie Barberry was my, my biggest signing. You know what happened to him. Um, so there's that because I feel like a lot of the games that would be, would be kind of less exciting are a bit are a lot more fun when you've got a fantasy game riding on it. Um, and then also no relegation. You know that makes it less exciting. And also the constant fucking red cards that ruin matches. So we'll sort of get into that I think because the first match I watched was Newcastle versus Gloucester. Now here's the thing. What a fucking fantastic game this was. The first note I made was another game ruined by a red. Okay. Now, I also made the point, yes, it was a red card. Okay. Uh, Austin Healy, when he was watching this, said, uh, oh, shit, maybe I'm thinking of a different match now. Forget about Austin Healy. Um, But there's a red card. And my first instinct was this game is fucked. It's fucked. Now, we've all seen games where where a team goes a man down due to a red card and is able to sc- somehow scrape out a win. But I didn't think it was going to happen with Newcastle against Gloucester. I just couldn't see it happening. But here's the difference between that match and the England match. I really cared about the England match. I don't care about who wins between Newcastle and Gloucester. And so since it wasn't a player in my fantasy team, <laughs> once he was red carded, I thought, well, fuck it. I'll keep watching and see how it plays out. And it was a phenomenal match. Um, 
a few points from the game. I'm just going to read through my notes for this one. Sorry. Uh, there was a moment in the match where Mickey Young, the scrum half, uh, by the way, Mickey Young, not Michael Young. Why did that become a thing? Why did Mickey Young? I love this shit. I see it in stand-up comedy all the time, by the way. Someone will be going by their, like, a certain name, and it's usually, like, a like a nickname. They'll be called, like, I'm not going to name actual people I know, but it'll be, like, um, yeah, it'll be, it'll be something like Jimmy, Jimmy Clark, okay? And then all of a sudden, on all their social media, you'll see them listed as James Clark, and they're like, oh yeah, I want to be, co- I want to go by this now. I'm a bit more serious. And it's like, no one gives a fuck. Michael Young, you're Mickey Young, and he looks like a Mickey. Anyway, Austin Healy, who likes to uh, referee matches in his spare time, he uh, pointed out that Mickey Young was tackled by a player on the floor, which they didn't bother checking. Now, here's my issue: it wasn't remotely dangerous. It's just a player on the floor tackling him, right? But if he had stayed down clutching his knee acting injured especially if he fell and like grabbed his head which would be insane but we see it happen now it's a it's a thing they probably would have come back to check it to see what was wrong with him and then they would have had to penalize mickey young i'm sorry uh the person who tackled mickey young don't remember who it was for being on the tackling him on the floor now my two issues with this are that just from this just from that explanation it's clear that faking injuries is incentivized and we see it every game now anytime there's like marginal contact to the head neck area or whatever players tend to stay down they grab their heads and they make a meal out of it and it's disgusting and people warned about it we were talking about it before um that with basically we're talking about it 20 years ago that you would start to see players diving and faking injuries and there was a time where you know before professionalism i'm old enough that i watched rugby and played rugby as a youth uh when did the game became professional was it 2000 no 95 so when i was really young sort of 12 13 14 it was still amateur rugby. And in the early days of professional rugby, it was the same thing. If you were seen faking an injury the way that you see it nowadays or diving the way you will sometimes see it nowadays, that was unthinkable. You would be considered an absolute joke. You would be ridiculed. You'd be called a pussy and they'd call you a football player or something, you know, which is something rugby fans love to do um, for some reason. And uh, what was I saying? My ADHD just took over. Oh, yeah. And now we're seeing it just rampant with, 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 with the increased sensitivity um, around the, the high tackle laws. Anybody gets, you know, you could, you, you could touch someone, pat someone on the head the way you would a, a, a child. And they'll grab their head and fall on the floor and start screaming. And it's fucking atrocious. But another thing about this it, it should have been a penalty for the guy ta- uh, tackling him from the floor. But I mean, in terms of the, the laws of the game. However, this is another one of those laws that I can't stand. In fact, this is the, probably the biggest one. Why is it illegal to tackle someone when you're already on the ground? Give me any reason whatsoever. It does not make any sense. You're not 
at an at an advantage by being on the floor. You are not in creating any extra danger from being on the floor. You're just in a in a if anything, you're just making a desperate tackle from a compromised position. It's it's difficult. It's much more difficult to do. But you know, if I tackle someone. And then I roll, and he offloads, and I roll over on the ground and grab him. Is that even a? Is that a penalty? Like, what is the rule? Do I, is it like I have to get to my feet before I make that tackle? Because I'm sure that it happens in games, and it just gets missed. But I've seen it given before. I've seen people penalized for being at the base of a ruck, and then someone tries to snipe around the edge of the ruck, and they grab them. Maybe that's what. Maybe that's why. Maybe they want to insensitize sniping around the bases of rucks. And if you've got people in rucks just grabbing them, then it's harder for them to stick close to the ruck and stuff. Maybe that's true. I don't know. I doubt it. I think it's just one of those dumb laws. Let me know if you can think of a better reason or if you think that it is the reason I just mentioned. Um, But yeah, Newcastle versus Gloucester. I'll tell you who played really well that I didn't think was capable of playing really well was uh, Obatoyimbo. Uh, playing fullback for Newcastle, formerly of Saracens, is that right? Never impressed me there. And I've seen him look decent, but nothing special. I've always thought he, you know, he's quite a graceful runner. Um, but in this match, he was very dangerous. He was deservingly man of the match. And that's in a team that has Mateo Carreras, who routinely wins man of the match awards. Um Speaking of Carreras, I have to say again, I can't stop celebrating Mateo Carreras, Carreras. He is constantly involved in the game. There is not a, there is no player in Premiership Rugby, well, sorry, there is no winger in Premiership Rugby who gets more involved or anywhere near. I think, um, yeah, Russ Milsom of Mall Over Rugby Podcast mentioned Jack Knoll. Jack Knoll does get involved a lot, but not the way Carreras does. Carreras is a maniac. He's super aggressive. He's like, uh, it's not just with the ball. He's not always just looking for the ball. He goes looking to make hits, and he gets involved in, involved in rucks, and he gets he's edgy. He gets fired up. He's niggly. He would be a nightmare on a night out, wouldn't he? I feel like he'd be if he gets, goes out drinking, he's probably up to all sorts of mischief. Anyway, but what a fantastic player. On the opposite wing, Adam Radwan looking good. Um, beautiful defense to dot down the ball, sliding under every a lot of people's favorites. Um, favorite, Ollie Thorley, who was a little bit pedestrian trying to go for a try. I feel like he could have been a bit more desperate as a winger trying to score a try, but Radwan, we don't think of his defense, although he is pretty damn good in defense. He's very powerful, very strong. And in this case, um, pulled off a a doozy. Um, But it was a close match, an amazing win for a 14 man. Newcastle didn't think they had it in them, but they shouldn't really have won. Actually Gloucester lost this match. Um, And Chris Harris uh, should be apologizing to his teammates because they had that lovely break at the end. And if Chris Harris had given that pass a second, just a second earlier to Luis Rees-Zamet, Rees-Zamet scores and Gloucester win. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, you didn't watch the game, forget it. I don't care. Let's move on. So I wa- I started watching Leicester versus Bristol, but this was a sloppy pile of shit of a game. There was so much sloppy offloading, too much, just reckless use of the ball. It was kind of pathetic. Um, 
not what I expected of Leicester, and it's the sort of thing that Bristol have been uh, criticised for. Um, some of the, the the handling in that match, from what I watched, was fucking criminal. <clears throat> People forcing passes and offloads that were never on. Um, I said, yes, little Harry Thacker. I think like, little Harry Thacker scored a lovely try. Do you know the two little Harrys are my favorite players in the premiership? We talked about this the other day. I mentioned that my girlfriend told me I love the little players. And my two favorite players are little Harry Randall and little Harry Thacker. Um, what is my obsession with short players? Because I just, do you know what I just realized? Back in the Dizay, uh, when I was living in England in the 90s, I remember Chelsea got to uh, the cup final, uh, at the Premiership Cup final, and um, two, the two players that they sort of highlighted, this is way back in the 90s, okay? There was Dennis Wise and then another player who were both really short. Like, I don't know how tall Dennis Wise is, 5'6", five, 5'7". Five, Maybe he's not that short. Let's see. Dennis Wise height. Do you even know who Dennis Wise is? Idiot. Five foot six. And I feel like the other guy they showed was about the same height. And at that point, and I just, back then I did, I had no interest in football. I still have no interest in football. I hate it. But back then I was like trying to get into it. I didn't have a team. So I decided um, I would support Chelsea because I thought it was great that they had these two little short players who were kicking ass. And um, I supported them for a while. Try it, but I could never really get into it. I don't have any real love f- for Chelsea, so it was all a bit stupid. Anyway, uh, Ben Young scored an outrageous try in his 299th game for Leicester. How is that even possible? How many games are in a season? I can't be bothered to do the maths, but holy shit. I also made a note that it sort of felt like decisions kept going Leicester's way in this match, and I have no reason. I'm not, I have no bias. I don't give a shit who wins. Uh, I sort of did, actually. I'd rather Bristol won, so maybe I am biased. Um, Magnus Bradbury uh, sco- scored a non-try, had a try disallowed. I don't understand why players do what he did. So he got tackled. Clearly the tackle was complete, and... He, instead of, all you've got to do is jump up to your feet. It takes less than a second. Like, let go of the ball, jump up, grab the ball, dive over. That's all he had to do. Um, but instead, what did he do? Did he crawl? No, he just, oh, that's what it, he just didn't release the ball. It's a bit of a stupid one too, but I'm sure there's much better reason behind that. Um, then Lua Tua got a yellow card, and then I turned it off because Lua Tua is in my fantasy team, and I was like, fuck this. I was barely paying any attention anyway, just just daydreaming during the game because it was so shit. Maybe it got better, but I really hated that match. Now, Saracens versus Harlequins was a great game of rugby. Um, and I want to mention something. At the beginning of the game, they did a, a minute's applause, or a, is it a minute or a moment? I don't know, but everyone's applauding. There's always something at the beginning of a match, right, that everyone – it's usually a former player died or an old person died. But in this case, it was a teenage cancer victim who died. And I just noticed that um, – oh, Christ. My alarm is about to go off because I forgot that it's Wednesday, and on Wednesdays I have to pick up my daughter early. So, okay, that's fine. I can still keep going. 
Um, anyway, if you ever wondered, you know, if those minutes of applauses were meaningful for, for family members, um, the mother's reaction I thought was great. It just showed the mother, the father, and, and presumably the brother, and she's just looking around at the at the crowd with just obviously understandably emotional but just with a real look of gratitude i thought it was really nice um but this game the game itself i don't know if it was hyped up on social media um you know i was talking earlier about how to promote the game more this game deserved so much hype i mean there were so many huge, significant matchups. You had the biggest one, Marcus Smith versus Owen Farrell. How can you not get, get excited about that? Then you've got the current England number eight, Alex Dombrandt, against the longtime England number eight and a lot of people's favorite, Billy Vunapola, and Ben Earl in that back row. Both of them would be thinking they should probably back themselves to be taking the shirt from Dombrandt, who's not been super great. You got Max Malins versus Caden Murley. Max Malins a mainstay in uh, Steve Borthwick's England team on the wing, and Caden Murley in and out of the squad. But he's a fan favorite. A lot of people really want Caden Murley in the England team. I personally think Max Malins is a rugby genius, and I don't understand the uh, why there's even a discussion about it. But I'll get back to that. Then even you've even got things like uh, Jamie George versus. Uh, Walker, I can't remember his first name. One of the least exciting England call-ups ever is a uh, is it Jack Walker from Harlequins? I just feel like he's a very conservative selection. When I've seen him play for Harlequins, you don't notice him, meaning he must not make a lot of mistakes, but he doesn't do anything outstanding, right? So anyway, but nevertheless, Jamie George versus the guy pushing him apparently. For a starting spot um and it doesn't end there you've got um well it sort of ends there because joe marchant is in the team but he was playing on the wing if we'd seen him at center we could outside center his preferred position we could have seen joe marchant against alex lazowski another underrated and i think unfairly ignored english play, uh, center during a period where we've struggled at centre. Um, anyway, so many huge... I've probably forgotten somebody as well. Um, I quite like the fullback matchup, if I'm honest, because you've got Alex Good, who is obviously in the twilight of his career, but still amazing, and a, and a premiership, if not England, legend. Uh, consistently excellent, versus... Another very underrated player at Quinns, Nick David, who is outstanding, consistently outstanding for Harlequins. It's not too soon to talk about him being an England player. Freddie Stewart is the England fullback, but he's not going to be able to play all the time. And I think Nick David... I think some people will be rolling their eyes at me suggesting Nick David should be in the England conversation, Partly because he's almost damned by his own talent. When you see a player this good in attack, some people sort of seem to automatically assume that he's going to be a defensive liability. But I haven't seen that. I've seen him 
very good in defense. Um, so, so the younger, more exciting, promising fullback in uh, Nick David against the veteran Alex Good. Uh, another great matchup. Anyway, the game itself was really entertaining, as you would expect, with Quinns versus Saracens at Twickenham. Um, started early on uh, with a try set up by... Oh, wait, let me think. Yeah, I was hoping there was a good half ba- uh, scrum half matchup, but I don't think... Who's the Saracen scrum half? Van Zyl? Van Zeel? Don't even know how you say it. Don't care about him. But Danny Kerr, always with a point to prove, um, sets up a lovely try with a quick tap. Uh, that's all I have to say about that. Um, and just a little reminder right now, as I get myself worked up talking about players, just a little reminder that we could have had in another lifetime, we could have had an England midfield of Tompkins and Lazowski. Now, some people don't rate Tompkins and I don't understand it. And I'm talking about members of my rugby brethren, people I respect. Um, They think he's shit, even though he's fucking amazing, not just good, Amazing. Really, really, really good in attack. Really, really, really good in defense. Really smart player. He's got everything. And Lazowski, as I said earlier, very underrated too. His hit on, on Andre Esterhazen, you know, probably one, possibly, well, up there is one of the most untackleable players in the premiership. Lazowski smashed him. It sent... It literally sent shockwaves through his body. You could see it. Um, it's not the be-all and end-all, to, you know, to be a destructive tackler. You know, there's been some some amazing defensive players who hit really hard in the past for England that aren't that great. I'm thinking Jamie Noon, who I really loved as a player. Do you remember Jamie Noon? No one, you know, he was um, probably the best defensive at least in terms of how hard he hits, probably the hardest hitting uh, center that I can think of other than Manu Tuolangi. And to be honest with you, he probably put in more big hits than Manu ever has. Um, the difference being that Manu could actually end lives with his hits. But anyway, I'm getting sidetracked. Uh, love to see Lazowski given a chance with England. Here's the negative about this match. The biggest negative I had about this match. Um, commentators freaking out every time Billy Vunapola takes the ball on and gets tackled almost immediately. It's ridiculous. And it's not just commentators. It's all here. Like you listening right now, I bet you think Billy Vunapola had a really good game. And look, I haven't looked at the stats. I could be really wrong about this, but I watched Billy the whole game. And all I saw was him getting his hands on the ball running into some bodies and then going to ground and not doing much else. And I know what you're thinking. I said running into bodies. And that's what people say about Billy Vunapola is, oh, well, he ties up players. It's like, no, no, no. It's not A lot of the time, one person brings him down. He's not – I didn't see him. I, didn't, I don't remember a, a really good attack stemming from a Billy Vunapola carry. And look, he's big. And he's not the worst number eight in the premiership. So he can do a job, but that is not good enough for England. That's not good enough. I don't want to see, 
oh, yeah, he's really big and heavy, and he tries to get the ball a lot, and then he gets tackled. But, you know, maybe that the person that tackles him might find it hard to get up from under his big body. No. I want someone aggressive and powerful breaking tackles. You should be breaking tackles. And by the way, Billy Vinopola used to break tackles constantly. That was when he was arguably, and I'm thinking like seven or eight years ago probably, the best number eight on the planet. He's nothing now. He's nothing in comparison to where he was. And he is not an international number eight anymore. I see I see many number eights in the premiership who impressed me much more. And even in this match, you know, Alex Dombrandt didn't have a great game, but he was all right. He did some good stuff. I saw more good things from Alex Dombrandt than I did Billy Vunapola. But the way the fucking commentators go on, at one point, Billy Vunapola caught the ball and passed it. And they fucking, I, I thought the commentators were going to climax, just ejaculate together about what a great pass it was. It was nothing special. Billy Vinopola is busy, but largely ineffective. <sighs> but a lot of people, a lot of you listening will disregard everything I've said, so I don't know I'm even bothering. <laughs> That's a good attitude, isn't it, for someone doing a rugby podcast? Why do I even bother with you people? Bullshit. Um, what else? Oh, controversial moment. Uh, Danny Care. Okay, do you remember earlier I said Austin Healy said, and then I went, wait, did Austin Healy say that? And then I said, forget about it. I was thinking of a different incident, okay? And what I was going to say is, the incident where Danny Care collided with Van Ziel, I think it's pronounced Van Ziel, it was nothing. It was totally, Van Ziel was totally fine. But he stayed down as if he was injured, as I was talking about earlier, blatantly trying to milk a penalty and get Danny Care carded, which is exactly what happened. It's a blight on the game. Actually, no, no, I take that back. It, what didn't happen, did it, in the end? Danny Care got carded for, for a professional foul later. Okay, good, good, good. They got it right. I forgot. Woo! See, I, I, I remember getting angry because I assumed he was going to get sent off. And one of the reasons was that Austin Healy said, and this is what I was going to say earlier, Austin Healy said, that it looked it was worse than the Freddie Stewart incident. Which is complete bullshit. He's literally Danny Care is running to get the ball at the same time as Van Ziel. And they run into each other. I wish I'd looked at it more recently because I can't remember exactly how it played out. But I remember just thinking, this is a fucking rugby incident, if ever there were one, and no one's even hurt. Anyway. Did they bring I could be wrong. Maybe Van Ziel was hurt, but I don't believe it. I think he's a liar, a lying South African scum. Um, Caden Murley had a good game, although a lot of people want to say that he outplayed Max Malins. That is absolute bollocks. He gave a good, a good account of himself. He scored that try where he basically ran Max Malins over, but that's going to happen. Caden Murley has his strengths and he has his weaknesses. Max Malins has his strengths and has his weaknesses. One of Caden Murley's strengths is his strength. He's powerful, right? And you would back him when he's that close to the try line to uh, sort of out physical Max Malins to crash over the to crash over the fucking uh, try line, right? God, I've been talking for way longer than I meant to be. Uh, so he did that. He did it well. But Max Malins looked. 
great in this match. He had some lovely touches, a couple of great pieces of defensive work as well, by the way. No one can take the England shirt from Max Malins, in my opinion. I said it before. I said it a hundred times. He's a fucking rugby genius. I think he's amazing. He's a prince, an inbred rugby prince. I'm not going to bother clarifying that statement. Um, now, the biggest matchup, to me, ended up being a little bit of an anticlimax with Owen Farrell against Marcus Smith. It's actually probably always going to be an anticlimax because they're such different players that it is hard to compare them, even when they're up against each other, you know, because you could see Marcus Smith might sidestep Owen Farrell at some point, break, get past him. You can't then say, ooh, Marcus Smith is Dino Owen Farrell, he's the better player, because it's just like the Caden Murley against Max Malin's moment earlier. One of Marcus Smith's strengths is he can, he can fucking step. He can step players, and he's quicker than Owen Farrell, isn't he? You know, but it's, you know, Owen Farrell is going to add things in other areas of the game. But I will say this. Uh, 25 minutes into the second half, I was convinced Owen Farrell must have come off at halftime because I just hadn't seen him. Now, it doesn't make sense because he was kicking. He kicked at least one or two penalties or a com- penalty and conversion or something, right? But, you know, just I do kind of switch off. And because of my ADHD, when it when it, when there's a try scored, I look at the try, and then when they're kicking it, unless I have a lot riding on it, I'll often get distracted and I'll get on my phone and look at something, or I'll go grab another cup of coffee or something. So I wasn't really paying attention to the to the kicks, but I thought Owen Farrell was fucking anonymous for a lot of that. Um, the only reason I was, or the the thing that made that that showed that that brought my what am I trying to fucking say? The moment that I realized he was still on the pitch was the moment that uh, Luke Northmore flew through the air and slapped him in the face, which was a nothing moment. Uh, I got an, an amaz- another amazing non-try. Oh, yeah. Quinn's almost scored the try of the season where Marcus Smith takes a quick tap, does a great pass, and then an in- insane speed and power from Nick David, during which he... Uh, swats Owen Farrell out of the way, by the way. Um, and then he just inexplicably managed to knock the ball on over the fucking try line. That would have definitely been try of the season for me. Um, I do want to say this. Owen Farrell misses the tackle. That doesn't make him a terrible player, all right? But one of Owen Farrell's strengths is his tackling. So the fact that he missed it was not good. Um, however, I just realized I've got to plug my uh, laptop in or it's going to die. Um, all I want to say about that is this, if Marcus Smith had missed that tackle, it would have been another story. Everyone would have been saying, Oh, you see, Marcus Smith can't tackle. He's not good enough. Can't imagine if he did that in an international, you get away with it here, but not, you know what I'm saying? See how reasonable I am. Christ. At the end of the day, I don't, I didn't really take much out of it. If anything, I think Marcus Smith probably was a bit better in that game. But then, of course, Owen Farrell injured himself. I think he injured his ankle, so he had to come off. Um, I thought, oh, here's a weird moment in the game. Joe Marchant scored a, uh, th- does really well to score from a crossfield kick from... Who was it? Who did the kick? It must have been Marcus Smith. Maybe it wasn't. I don't remember. But it was Danny Kerr, I think. Does this lovely jumps through the air, claims the ball... Over Max Malins, was it? 
I'm not sure, but whoever it was takes him out in the air. And then there was this controversial moment where my thought was, oh, shit, that's got to be a yellow card. Or at the very least, I mean, yeah, he scores the try. You can't penalize him. There's an advantage. But it's still, you take someone out in the air, isn't it always a yellow card? Because it's so dangerous. And then they said that the commentators were saying, and then even the referee, I think I heard say this, that if he hadn't scored the try, it would have been a penalty try and a yellow card. How cynical is that? That's ludicrous. That makes no sense whatsoever. I'm not trying to get people yellow carded. I don't like that, but um, that's that's absurd. Uh, really, really quickly, Bath versus Exeter. Uh, a reminder here. You know, I said earlier I gave you a reminder that we could have had Nick Tompkins and Alex Lozowski in an England midfield. We also could have had Cameron Redpath, Redpath there. Not saying he should be there, but... You know, he's had some injuries that have made us forget how good he is, but he looked, he scored a fucking incredible match early on against Exeter. Um, there was a sickening knee injury, of course, to one of my fantasy players, uh, Jack Maunder. I shyest him there. Um, now, I've made a note here that says we need more consistency with the tackle complete ruling. And I don't remember what this is about. It says. I'm fine with Rocco Daguni's try being allowed, but we constantly see that disallowed for not releasing after tackle completion wasn't held. That's what it was. Rocco Daguni scored a try where it seemed like he was tackled, but the referee said he wasn't held. But which I agree with. I think that should be allowed then. But surely the try that was disallowed for what's his name? Who was it that was scoring it? The the Bristol backrub, Bradbury. He wasn't bloody held either. There just is too, not enough consistency. Anyway, I've got to go. I've got to pick up my daughter from school. Uh, follow me on Twitter at Eddie Stevens with an extra S at the end. That's Stevens with a PH, you fucking idiot. Follow me on Instagram at Eddie Stevens Massive. Um, and uh, if you want, you can follow my YouTube channel, although I'm still ADHDing everything and not getting stuff done. But that's uh, Eddie Stevens training. I don't actually bother training anyone anymore because of reasons I can't be bothered to tell you. Uh, but I will be putting some stuff on there eventually one of these days. Remember the t-shirts? That'll be a thing. Whatever. I got to go. Um, bye. <laughs>